If you were listening this morning or if you were attending this morning, the service, you'll know that last week we were in Numbers 11. I looked at chapter 12 and thought, well, that doesn't make a complete morning service sermon. So we, we moved across from 12, 13, 14, 15 and into chapter 16 where we are tonight because chapter 12 and chapter 16 cover the same subject. In chapter 12, which we will go back to, that was Moses, and no, I sorry, Aaron and Miriam that were chiding with Moses about, you know, who made you the leader? We're just as important as you. We're older than you. We need to have some respect here and then some position. And God taught them a strong lesson, and both Aaron and Miriam, and Miriam got leprosy. We'll go back there one day, Lord willing. And so we've moved to chapter 16, which comes after Kadesh Barnea, where the 10 spies were sent up, came back. I mean, 12 spies <laughs> sent up, came back. Two gave a good report. 10 gave an evil report. And now we have a reaction of the congregation of the leaders of Israel against Moses because they were told not to go up because they, they could have if they'd believed. But the evil report of the 10 spies caused this problem. <clears throat> And this was in the heart and really exposed the heart of these elders in Israel and their attitude toward Moses. You know, as a, as a pastor in that, I've known over the years that people talk. You see, I get to visit family and different people where they talk about their church. They talk about the people in the church. They talk about the pastor and, uh, and the, the, the <laughs> how the pastor, they think, is not doing the right thing. Well, that's not right. And these people were gossiping and chinwagging against Moses. And they were knocking and putting him down. And it came out into the open in chapter 16, as we discovered this morning. <clears throat> we looked there this morning at the conspiracy of the rebels. Tonight we move on from that. And if you've looked at the outline, you follow it right down to verse, uh, from verse 18 to, to verse 50. We have the confrontation of the rebels the confrontation of the rebels so the conspiracy of the rebels now the confrontation of them they impudently <clears throat> carried out their opposition bold faced they weren't going to talk about it at the, at the dinner table anymore they were in the congregation they were making this public they had the front of Myers, as we say. These very people had recently seen in Leviticus 10, verse 1, 2, 6, and 10, Nadab and Abihu, the two oldest sons of Aaron, perish, struck dead for daring to offer strange fire before the Lord. And in Numbers chapter 3, and verse 1 and 4, it reads, and, the, and also, or these also are the generations of Aaron and Moses in the day that the Lord spoke with Moses in Mount Sinai. And these are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab, the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the priests who were anointed, whom he concentrated to minister in the priest's office. And Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. 
and they had no children. Eleazar and Ithamar ministered to in the priest's office in the sight of Aaron, their father. So these people had been assigned the job. They'd been given the job of the priest's office with their father Aaron. They'd offered strange fire and been struck dead. And here we have them, only a month, some months later, not remembering what had already happened to these that offered strange fire. Korah could expect, if he thought at all, and reasoned this through to fire, for fire maybe to come down upon him and to fare no better in offering incense with unhallowed hands, because he was not to do this. He was of the tribe of Levi. They had their particular task to do in preparations for the sacrifices. But as far as the priest offers Aaron and his sons were to do that, not Korah and his sons. Yet in the height of his pride, he defies heaven and demands divine acceptance without a divine warrant given by God to him. His heart is hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. His eyes are blinded by his own pride. His ears are deaf to God's servant and his voice, that is Moses, and God's voice through him. His ego is awash with his self-importance. His feet are walking toward death's door and damnation. You know, he had a big I problem. I am important. I want that position you've got, Aaron. Moses, let me have it. Who do you think you are, Moses? You know, the middle letter of a few words reveal some something. <laughs> Pride. What's the middle letter of pride? I. What's the middle letter of sin? I. What's the middle letter of Lucifer? I. They've all got an I problem. <laughs> Not an I problem, but me first. And this was Cora's problem. And many people in churches rise up against the leadership because they've got an I problem. I want this way. I want it done this way. I want the carpet to be red, not blue, or whatever it is that you're rising up against the leader for. What do rebels like Korah do to those about them? Well, let's go back to our, our portion of Scripture in number 16. They took every man his censer and put fire therein in verse 18 and laid incense thereon and stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. They were going to force their way into a job and a task they weren't given. And in verse 19, And Korah gathered all the congregation against them. What do rebels do? They get a following, usually within the church, in the congregation, in the unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto the congregation. They set these I people, these self-important people, these self-appointed people, yes, set the congregation against the leadership, gathered them together against Moses, as it says in these verses. <clears throat> Wrong thing to do. Don't gather together as a, a, under a, a rebel that's rebelling, sowing discord amongst the brethren. This is called in Proverbs, 
we find what God thinks of these people that push their way in, turn the congregation against the leaders or against the leadership or leader. This is what he said in Proverbs 6 verse 16. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that are swift to sh- in running to mischief, false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. He that soweth discord. And this was Korah to a T. In, in 1 Corinthians, it speaks of this also in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and or sub, yeah, chapter 1 and verse 10, we have this said. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no division among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. God wants his people to be joined together, fitting in harmoniously, laboring for the glory of God and being a good testimony to the people in the community. Proverbs 26 verse 4 reads, I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go with dissemblers, those that dissemble. Korah was a dissembler. Korah was an ambitious, self-appointed Apostle wanting to throw overthrow the leadership. Oh, we need to tread carefully if we're that way minded. And he sowed discord. He brought problems into the camp, big problems on his own head. As he gathered the, the people against, he said, she said, we said, we can hear those things. I've heard, I've been around when I've, those things have happened. <clears throat> we see the confrontation of the rebels. Then the call to separation in verse 20 to 27. This is given by the Lord. The Lord calls out unto Moses and Aaron saying in verse 20 and verse 21, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Wow. Don't mix with this group. Listen, people, don't mix with the dissemblers. Don't mix with those that are going to do this to a church. For 40, 50 years, I've seen these things happen in churches. And the illustration we gave to start this morning's message is appropriate. I learnt at 17, 18 years old. I was there and it happened. And I'd never seen this sort of thing before. And I was taken back, as I said this morning. I went out and left the meeting and got in the car. Couldn't stand what the men were doing to each other and saying to each other. But here, Moses and Aaron told to separate. The call to separation. This problem all stems from the mixed multitude that we found in Numbers last week, chapter 11 and verse 4. There were saved and there were unsaved people. And... uh, There were wicked men among them. As it says in verse 26 of number 16, wicked men. And I'm sure the Lord doesn't call Christians wicked men or believers, but here it's calling Korah and his mob wicked men. Wicked men, unsaved, that tears 
among the wheat. Remember, was that last week? <laughs> the leaven in the bread. The, the little seed that's supposed to be a herb grow into a big tree. Second Corinthians chapter 6 tells us what to do. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Ye are the temple of the living God. I will dwell in them and walk in them. I'll be their God. They shall be my people. Wherefore, wherefore, as it was told to Moses and Aaron back in number 16, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean. Don't be contaminated, people. If there is somebody who is causing strife in the church, don't assemble with them. Don't be contaminated by them. They will, they will there be whispering to each other and talking and they are sure to influence and affect your walk with the Lord and your walk with a fellowship of believers. The call to separate. Get out from, from among them. <laughs> in Romans, just before Corinthians, in Romans chapter 16 and verse 17 and 18, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them who cause divisions that cause these divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, the doctrine of togetherness, the doctrine of working together for the glory of God and being a good testimony to those around, which you have learned and avoid them. Avoid them. Come out from among them. Avoid these sort of people, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. They're after self-fulfillment. They want that position. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple or the naive or the innocent. Don't, by being an innocent, it's good to be innocent. But don't be deceived by these people. Don't give them an ear. It gives them a foothold. Korah got a foothold. So they're called to separate. And let's read that portion in verse 20. Of number 16, the Lord said, separate, separate yourself from these people. And they, they fell on their faces and said, O Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh. This is Moses and Aaron. They said, shall one man sin, Korah sin, and there will be wrath with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from among the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. And Moses rose up and went to Dathan, Abraham, and the elders of Israel followed him. You notice he didn't go to Korah. He went to the other two men that were siding with Korah and said unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch not. Get out from them. Touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed in their sins. You can be evilly affected, and you can have the consequences that come upon the rebel, the discord sower, the consequences that come upon his head will come upon yours if you listen and give him ear and follow in his way. And so they got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan and Abram. See, they stayed with Korah, those two. They were warned. And so <clears throat> the, Moses' plea was, don't destroy the people for the sake of this bloke. And so, okay, we'll go warn them. Tell them to get out. <laughs> Call to separate. 
there down to verse 27 and and then stood in the door of their tents and their wives and their sons and the little children. So here they all were, proud as punch, thinking, hey, we're going to get on top of this. We're going to have Moses put down. We're going to sack him. We're going to fire him. We're going to put him out of the, the ministry that God's called him to. Look, he was the one in the ten plagues. He was the one that held the rod and the sea parted. He was the one that smote the rock and the water came out. He was the one said, cast the branch into the water that's bitter and it would get better. And it did. All these miracles have been happening by the hand of Moses, yet these audacious people were trying to fire him. Hey, <laughs> what's with people? What's with these self-appointed apostles? Ah, we go on. Moses' controversy with the rebels is seen in 28. To 31, we read, And Moses said, Hereby shall you know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own hand. Moses, who is, by the way, called the meekest man that lived, other than the Lord Jesus, he said, Look, fellas, I've not done it by mine own hand. I, I argued with the Lord about doing all this at the burning bush. I can't speak, I can't talk, I, you know, you, you've got the wrong man here. <clears throat> and, 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 and he said, what shall I say to, to Pharaoh when I go and see him? Who shall I say sent me? You know, he's not self-reliant. He's a humble servant of the Lord, ministering for the glory of God and doing what God had appointed him to do. As majority of pastors if, uh, are, if they're honest with the word of God. And... <clears throat> And these, if these men die by the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. If, he has, if they die as everybody else dies, you know, of a disease, old age, whatever, accident, eh, eh, God's not sent me. But if the Lord, you know, Moses is completely confident <laughs> that he, he's got God on his side because God has talked to him, told him what to do. On this occasion. So Moses is having this controversy with them. And we read on verse 30. But if the Lord make a new thing to happen. And he didn't just say something might happen. He named what would happen. And the earth opened. This is like God's listening to me. And now I think he, I know he'll do it. If the earth open up and swallow them up. And with all that appertains to them. And go down quick into the the pit then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the lord <clears throat> so here we have the controversy in verse 31 it continues and it came to pass as he had made an end of speaking all these words that the ground clave asunder that was under them <laughs> you think wow <laughs> this is the end of all arguments this is the end of rebellion well we'll, look, we'll read on but some people who rebel are very stubborn, very stubborn in their pride and in their sin. And these people have to be faced off. You know that saying? In your face. And some of them have to be told outright. And boy, do they react angrily. <laughs> I've been there on many occasions. When you tell them the truth, they are incensed. How dare you? 
And they were incensed. But Paul had to do this to an apostle, Peter, in Galatians 2.11. And Peter, when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, right face-to-face confrontation, because he was to be blamed. Moses withstood him to the face. He made this promise that if, if God's with me, then this ground's going to open up and swallow them up. For before certain men came from James, we read in Galatians, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them who were of the circumcision. And we know the instance there. And and Barnabas, Barnabas was carried away too. Barnabas, who had been on missionary journey with Paul, he was carried away with their dissimulation in like manner. You know, people get carried away with these rebels. They're not of the Lord, these people. Oh, they're good at talking. They can sweet talk you around to it. And you, if you follow them, are going to have their end. Just as if you do the work of the Lord and do the work of uh, a job that you haven't been given in the church and you do that, you'll be rewarded for it. Even if you didn't have the title. These men wanted the title and they'll be rewarded for their evil doings. The crushing of the rebels. Let's go back there and see that in verse 32 and 33. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. Verse 33, they and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit. And earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. God was instant in his judgment on these rebels But more often than not, he is long-suffering and the goodness of the Lord allows them to live on. There's a passage over in 2 Peter, 2 Peter and chapter 3 and verse 9 where the Lord is talking about his long-suffering. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise about judgment coming and in a fiery form in the future, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, God is long-suffering, and just as well for many people that he is. He doesn't issue fire immediately. And over and over again in, in ministry, you just see the long-suffering of God upon people that are rebelling. But there comes a time when it's all over. God said, no, enough is enough. You've taken me to the limit of my long suffering. I say, don't don't go there as the one that God is long suffering toward. And people who have enjoyed the long suffering of God think, well, (laughs) nothing happened to me. I must be in the right. But one day the hammer will fall and there'll be no time to change your mind. Just like with these people, this was instant. This was no messing around. They got swallowed up in the meeting they were having at the time. In Numbers chapter 14 and verse 18, we read, And the Lord is long-suffering of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression and by no means clearing the guilty. So he is long-suffering. He is great of mercy and forbearing and forgiving. But his patience runs out with wicked people. 
and with this world, might I say, in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, it says the same thing. And you think of Ananias and Sapphira. God set an example in the early church. If you lie against the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 5, there was immediate judgment. Ananias and then Sapphira come in, not knowing her husband had been carried out dead by the undertaker. She come in, she lied. You had conspired together to say these things. You're dead. Bang. Instant. The crushing of the rebels. You know, God does not put up with the rebels. He, his hand of chastening can be immediate. And so particularly for people like Korah, who were leaders in the congregation, who were esteemed men with all the other 250 of them among the congregation. Oh, it's very hard when the leadership of a church challenges the pastor of the church and puts him under the hammer and makes all sorts of accusations. And, you know, he said, she said, off we go. And months and months go on and the, the case builds. Now we have a case to fire the preacher. And it's all come from an instance where the, maybe the pastor stood against a doctrine that was needed to be stood against. And the pastor is being put down because he didn't do it this way and he didn't do it that way. Well, the cry of the rebels is seen in verse 34. Back in our passage in chapter 16, <clears throat> 34 says, And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. This made the rest of the congregation flee. When this happened to Korah and his friends, the rebels, the unsaved say punishment is not a deterrent. <laughs> well, this was a quick deterrent. They took off. They put their running shoes on. <clears throat> We're not going to stick around here. The earth could swallow us up. In Matthew 3, verse 7, John the Baptist said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Huh. If we've been warned and we know what we're doing as a rebel and we're involved with it, the consequences will be more severe. Remember Achan and his family and his possessions, his children and all that pertain to him were all destroyed in Joshua chapter 7. In 1 John, in 1 John chapter 5 verse 16 it says, if any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, in other words, it's not one that could cause him to die, he shall ask and he shall give him life of them that sin not to death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he should pray for it. In other words, you don't pray for somebody that's doing the wrong thing, particularly a rebel in the church. You don't back them. You don't give them ear. You don't give them a foothold. You should stand with the leadership of the church and fight against that person that they be put out. Discourage them on every turn. And more appropriate would be to pray for their repentance and return to the flock and the change of their attitude. Don't sin a sin which is unto death. So the cry of the rebels, we're getting out of here. We're leaving this mob. 
They're gone down alive into the pit. They heard their screams and cries as they fell off the cliff that had been developed. The earth opened up and then crunched and swallowed them and smashed them and their stuff all up. The consummation of the rebels in verse 35. This is back there in Numbers. and verse 35 we read, and there came out fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. Oh, they were doing a spiritual thing. We're doing it with our incense. We're at the tabernacle. We're spiritual people. Oh, these people will put on a front and people will be deceived by them. You know, we're exalted men in the congregation. But here we see the consummation. They were consumed these rebels were God doesn't spare those who hold up his work who contaminate his work who go along with those that are opposing the work of God and as I mentioned before look at Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10 and earlier that we looked at in Numbers chapter 3 I know of people who are not among the living anymore, for they transgressed the way of the Lord. It's a serious business. I heard of a sermon preached once, a church where the people were afraid to join because they preached and practiced the truth and they knew that people suffered consequences when they didn't follow the truth. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 11 talks about in the later chapters there about the Lord's Supper. Read it. There are many, many, it said, who are weak, who are sickly. They're weak in their physical body. They're sickly all the time. And many, and it says many on on that occasion, and many are dead. They're asleep. Why? Because they were consumed as rebels by the Lord with the Korahs, the Nadabs and the Abihus and those that didn't do it the way God wanted to do it. We need to get back to the holiness of God and the condemnation of sin and stop backing back in the rebels in their wickedness. We see the senses of the rebels were gathered in verse 36 down to 40. And the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, Speak unto Eleazar the son of Aaron the priest, that he take up the censers out of the burning, the censers of these 250 people that they were burning incense in, and scatter there the fire yonder, put it out, for they are hallowed. Get the censers, rescue them, and the censers of these sinners against their own souls. Let them make them broad plates for a covering of the altar, for they offered them before the Lord. Therefore they are hallowed, and they shall be a sign unto the children of Israel. And Eleazar the priest took the brazen centers, the brass brazen centers, centers, wherewith they that were burnt had offered, and they were made broad plates for a covering of the altar, to be a memorial unto the children of Israel that no stranger who is not the seed of Aaron, Korah was not, he was of Levi, who is not of the seed of Aaron, come near to the offering and incense. This is the crux of it. Here's the point. They were trying to intrude on the office of the priesthood of Aaron and his family. And they were total 
proud, totally proud about it. They thought, wow, you know, we can do this. We can do whatever we want. And they come near to offer incense before the Lord. That he be not as Korah and as his company, as the Lord said to him by the hand of Moses. These censers were taken up, a covering for the altar there, as it said, was to be made for a covering of the altar, verse 39, that everybody in the future, that they see, that, well, what, what, what's that? where'd that come from? That's from Korah. That's the one who, who rebelled against leadership and all his mates. They're the censors. You see, we need a memorial of those people that have rebelled against God and gone against his word and gone against the leadership and left the church or stayed in the church and take over the church. That's a disaster. <laughs> It'd be better if there'd be fewer people and the rebels all left. But sometimes they take over and get in the ears of everybody to the point of this. Anyway, memorials made. The senses of the rebels were made as a memorial. Don't go there. Don't do what he did. You know, big brother gets a hiding from mum and dad. Little brother looking on, little sister, well, I'm not going to do what he did to get that. <laughs> Don't want that. Then the contention of the congregation. This is amazing. <laughs> In verse 41 to 43. But on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses. I feel for Moses. Been there in a little way, but not in this sense. All the things that had happened up to now. And he'd been doing just what God wanted him to do. He'd been preaching just what God wanted him to preach. He got the whole congregation of Israel against him. They murmured against Moses and against Aaron saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. Moses and Aaron opened the ground up. That was a miracle of God. He didn't kill them. God did. And it came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses and Aaron that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation and behold, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. <clears throat> so here you have the contention of the congregation. Some, peop some people just don't learn the lesson and this congregation didn't learn. You're too hard-nosed. You're too fundamental. You're too much Bible. You, you refer to the scriptures all the time. You talk about this God that's supposed to be a loving God. He wouldn't do that to people. How dare you, Moses and Aaron, do it? They just didn't learn their lesson. There wasn't enough death and destruction already. And that's what they were thinking. That's what they were inviting. More death and destruction. You know what it says in Acts chapter 5 and verse 11? You know, we, in a situation like this, when we see the hand of the Lord upon those who are rebelled, rebelled, sorry, and it's obvious. We need to do what the people in Acts 5 did. When they saw Ananias and Sapphira smitten down, smitten dead, in verse 11, and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Not only did the ones that saw it fear the Lord, but those that heard about it feared the Lord. We need to fear and not fight when these things happen. 
Fear and not fight should fill the people's hearts. Instead, this congregation fought the leadership. I've known people who suffer severely but don't seem to connect their lack of spirituality, their discontentment, their contentious spirit and their rebellious spirit and all the other things that goes with that, their, their carnality, their lack of sanctification. They don't seem to connect it with the problems they got physically, sick, weak and dead. God's still on the throne. God knows everything that's going on. Connect the two. Join the dots and get the point of what God's trying to say. So there's a contention. That's just unbelievable. After all that God did through Moses and these people saw it, they did that. Hmm. Well, the consuming anger of the Lord is seen in 44 and 45. Well, 43, and Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation and the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, get you up from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their face. (laughs) Moses is like the meat in the sandwich here. (laughs) God said, get out from among them, separate from you like we talked about before because I'm going to consume them. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces. What are they doing? Shocked? No. They're praying, they're begging the Lord not to kill these people. You know, the consuming anger of the Lord. Don't mess with God. We say, pick on your own size and you're no match for God. He's got a whole arsenal of weapons at his disposal. He's the one that can cast body and soul into hell, as it says in Revelation. You'll never, never win in the final analysis. You will fail and fall miserably as the whole world will one day in the rebellion. Revelation 11 verse 15, when God comes and the rebels, what do they do? They've seen all the things that happen in the book of Revelation, the seven seals, the seven scrolls, the seven trumpets. Not quite there, but the, the, the thought is that When the Lord Jesus comes, the people of the world, the armies of the world are angry that he's coming to take over. Though all the miracles have already happened. All those that sided with Satan and Antichrist reveal their true colors. They just hate God. And these people too hate God. He will be a consuming fire. Hebrews 12.29 Acts 5.39 says, But if ye be... But if it be of God, said Gamaliel, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found to fight against God. You fight against the leadership as of Moses and Aaron. You're fighting against God. You're picking on somebody that you're no match for. Surrender. Humble yourselves. It says in Peter, And James, (laughs) humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves and say, I was wrong. I was sinning. I was doing the wrong thing in being a rebel. Repent and get right with God before his judgment falls. And if he's merciful and gracious to you, don't presume upon it. Don't think you're right. 
because biblically you're wrong. The cessation of the plague is seen in verse 46 and 48. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer, put fire therein from off the altar, and put it, put on incense. And go quickly into the congregation and make an atonement for them, for there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on incense and made an atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stayed. Now, miracle again. Imagine being Aaron. He's in the middle of it. The dead bodies laying everywhere. The plague of the Lord and there's the dead ones and the living. It was just like moving on a line through them. Knocking them down like flies. <clears throat> and so we have the cessation of the plague. And notice there it's only when atonement has been made. When the people who are involved... are atoned for and the blood is applied and forgiveness happens between brothers and sisters in the Lord, real forgiveness, real humility, that the plague is stopped. Listen, any church, and I know it from experience over and over and over again, who has those who rise up in rebellion, as soon as that starts happening and it becomes evident, God's hand of blessing is removed from the church and God's hand of blessing does not return until the problem is solved atonement is made or the people leave then God starts bringing in other folks over and over and over again the cessation of the plague will only happen when atonement is made when the blood is applied. When we do what First John chapter 1 tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and we get right back on the path of God. We get in where we left off on a detour, on our own way and doing our own thing and saying, I am important, I want my way and get back into fellowship and submitting yourself one to another in the fear of the Lord. Ah, let's do it. <laughs> Romans 5.11b says, By whom now we have received the atonement. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 10. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. I think that's chapter 11. But there, the blood of bulls and goats could not take away this sin. Now, it needs somebody under the instruction of the Lord to take things and deal with the problem. It needs individuals to get right with the Lord. The carnage, the carnage of the mutineers is seen in 49 and 50. Now they who died in the plague were 14,700. Beside them who died about the matter of Korah. And Aaron returned unto Moses unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. The plague was stayed. Listen. If you continue in rebellion, you're going to decimate the church and untold churches have gone into non-existence 
with all the hard work. I can think in Melbourne of the churches where people gave, were enthusiastic and the church was built. They're all labouring together, working together with the pastor and the leadership of the church and they built it up and they invested their money, multiple thousands of dollars and then a Cora came and wrecked the church. And they had to sell the church, had to give it away as it were, because who wants to buy a church? And God's work ceased. What a terrible, terrible shame. The carnage, the carnage. What could be in our country? You know what? The Union Baptist said when Rolly Smith, Doug Couch, Evan Goff and Carl Barton came and started working in Australia... They, they said, the Union Baptists were known to have said, that's what we need to do. We need to, to separate again, take a stand and be bold. And the Union Baptists said, these people are going to go places. They recognise the fact. But you know what? They, they haven't. We haven't. We were bigger than we are now because of this sort of problem. Decimate all the hard work of multiple people over a long time and all the ministry down the gurgler. <clears throat> the carnage of the multitude. God, as it were, puts Ichabog over the church. My glory is departed. Joel chapter 3 and verse 13 to 16 speak of the sickle being put in. God puts the sickle in harvest time. We'll do a message on that, Lord willing, if, he's, if we're still on earth before the end of the year, Lord, Lord willing. <laughs> multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. The day of decision is come. The day of the Lord is near. And the carnage upon these people, all these thousands of people, they still went on to rebel in other, at other times. They still murmured against Moses. When do people learn not to do this? The last point that's not in this chapter is the complaint of the people today. <clears throat> what if the leader is wrong? And I'm not saying pastors can't get it wrong. They can, they've got a body of flesh too. What should we then do if the preacher's wrong? Well, the biggest no-no is don't Take matters into your own hands. Don't seek to get revenge. Don't seek to get even. I'll teach that preacher a lesson or two. Don't try to straighten it out yourself. You will do it in the flesh. Now you say, well, how can you say that? You know, we need to do something if the leader's gone off. Yes, you do. You need to pray earnestly. Leave God to do it. He's long-suffering. It might take a time. Let God take care of the matter. Where do you get a Bible example for that? Well, you don't have to go any further than Saul and David. In the book of Samuel, Saul was very hateful and hurtful to David. Saul knew that David was going to be the next king. He knew that his son Jonathan had sided with David. He got into 
he got into his son and he, uh, he was going to kill him too <laughs> for siding with David. David was chased at times in 24 and 2 of 1 Samuel by 3,000 army men from, with Saul. In chapter 24, verses 4 to 22 there, there's an example here of what David did. He knew he, knew he was king. He had been anointed to be the king. And he knew that Saul was the king and he was anointed and he couldn't take over the job. Not unless God allowed it. In chapter 24, let's see what David did. Appointed to be the king, had 600 rebels running around with him. That was his army. <laughs> living on the smell of an oily rag, living in caves like a caveman. <laughs> we see David's mercy towards Saul, verse 1 to 22 of 24 of 1 Samuel. This is the first of two occasions when David could easily have killed Saul but doesn't do it. He didn't take it into his own hands. He didn't array, uh, arrange a posse to go and get the preacher. He didn't arrange a meeting where they could vote the preacher out. The Saul of his day. We see the resumption of chasing David after routing the Philistine Saul continued to chase David verse 1 and 2 verse 3 and 4 the realisation David's men were hiding in the cave and here's an opportunity Saul comes in to take a break and get a sleep take a nap and the people with David said wow God's provided you with an opportunity look he's, he's sleeping he hadn't even got his sword in his hand the restraint is seen by David in verse 4 and 7. David does not kill Saul, but cuts off a piece of Saul's robe without the king knowing it. And the rebuke in verse 8 to 15 is given to Saul. After Saul leaves the cave, David calls out, Hey, you're missing a bit of your garment. Whose is this? Have a look. See the bit that matches that. Hmm. Showing the piece of garment that had been cut. David uses this to prove that he's not seeking Saul's harm. He's not going to throw him out of his kingship. He's just not going to do it. He could have killed him. He could have done whatever, and the people around David wanted him to do that. The remorse of Saul is seen 16 and 19. Saul becomes unashamed, ashamed and acknowledges David is a better man. And the realisation in 20 to 22, Saul acknowledges that God has indeed chosen David to be king over Israel. You think, well, that's the end of that. Saul's, Saul realises he's confessed, he's got it right. Huh. But David again has to spare Saul's life. <clears throat> Taking only a spear and a jug, he, he flees to the Philistines. But we see this in chapter 26 of 1 Samuel. He chooses not, David chooses not again to take advantage to kill Saul. In verses 1 to 11 of chapter 26, we see the constraint. David and Abishai sneak into Saul's camp late one night. The request in verse 7 and 8 by Abishai, he says, David, please let me kill this man. Then you'll be king. Kill him with his own spear. In verse 9 to 11, David refuses to give him permission, saying that Saul, stall, stall. Saul is still God's anointed. 
We're not going to kill him. And the call in verse 12 to 16, David and Abishai leave, taking Saul's jug of water and spear. And a safe distance, David wakes his enemy by shouting insults to Abner, Saul's general, who also was asleep and saying, what are you doing? I've got the king's jug of water and I've got his spear. What are you up to? It's a wonder Saul didn't wake up and whip, whip his commander into shape, Abner. And the criticism is given. Uh, <clears throat> David asks Saul why he continues to pursue him when he's done no harm. Then the confession in, again of Saul in 21 and 25 of 26. Saul confessed that he was wrong, he'd wronged David and tells him he will no longer try to harm him. God was, David was letting God deal with the problem. We should do the same as David did, let God deal with the problem. Now it was years that David had to put up with this nonsense, knowing that one day he'd be king. And he can go on to chapter 28. Saul consults a medium because he, he couldn't wait for Samuel to come. He just couldn't wait. He said, yeah, I had to do it. And Samuel said, you're going to die for doing this. You've intruded on the priest's office. Does that sound familiar to what the passage we're looking at in Numbers? And it was the next day, I believe, that Saul was, was shot, injured, and he wanted his arm bearer to kill him, and his arm bearer wouldn't. So Saul fell on his own sword. And his sons were killed that day too by the Philistines. God could, took care of it in a dramatic way and quickly when it come. Folks, we need to honour and respect those that God has put in leadership that have been put there by the Lord and by the people as they saw the hand of the Lord upon them. Respect their position. Look, the pastor knows a whole lot more than most people in a congregation of what's going on and going down. Leave him to make the right judgments. Don't make a judgment upon his judgment. <laughs> you see, the pastor has to answer to the Lord. And if he's going off, off the rails and going wrong, the Lord's going to deal with him. And your, your best thing is to just submit, to do what God wants in the church, to keep serving him and keep ministering. God will take care of the matter. Leave it in his hands. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is so pointed as we've seen it tonight. Let us not take things into our own hands and invite the condemnation of God on our heads. It's a dangerous thing. Let us submit ourselves to you, to your word, and do what's pleasing in your sight, and you will do what needs to be done. Bless us now as we submit to you and humble ourselves before you. In Jesus' name, amen.